You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. And today we're going to tackle a uh, different spin on a famous old question. The subject is interfering with God's plans. So I, I want to start this with the question in the form that everyone else asks it. This is how everybody asks the question. You've all heard this before. If you had the opportunity to go back in time and to kill a certain evil person, let's take the examples usually given, you could go back in time and you can kill Adolf Hitler while he is a, a child or a baby. Would it be the proper thing to do? That's the question. If you could go back in time and you could kill the greatest mass murderer in our history, would you, would you do it? I mean, when I say that, I mean in terms of one person being responsible. Obviously, there are movements that have killed uh, many people. But if you could go ba- back in time, you would, um, would you do it? Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yes, ask you... Hypothetical question. Uh, uh, excellent, yes. At this point, it's a hypothetical question, because I'm, I'm quoting the question the way that everyone else asks this question. This is a common question you've all heard before. And, and what we need to look at is what are the tools, similar to what we did last time, what are the tools that I need to use to answer this question? I think most of us are going to answer a question like this, um, emotionally speaking. Are we so angry at what he did that we just want to kill him? Or are we so horrified at the concept of taking another life that we couldn't do it? But is that the right way to approach it, or is there a system, is there a process by by which you can um, um, figure out what you're supposed to do? However, and we're not going to look at it from that question, because I think that that question runs into a new problem. And that problem is that if you try to fix something that happened in the past, you're going to corrupt too many things, and for all you know, um, you're, you're undoing things that have already happened. You don't even realize how many things will be undone. What we're talking about today is what if you weren't living in 2021 trying to decide what you're going to do if you could go back in time to 1890? Here it's the other way around. What if you're living in 2021 and you're told that something is going to happen in 2090? If you're told right now that something is going to happen in the future, um, should you do something about it uh, or, or not? And the question is, if you could take one life right now to protect the lives of many, should you or should you not? Again, I want to emphasize that. We're not dealing with the famous question of whether you should go back in time and kill somebody. Because that's a little different. We're dealing with the question of if you know that somebody is going to, let's take the same example, mass murder six million people, would you end this person's life before they had an opportunity to do this? What, What are the thoughts on this? 
Um, I think it's obvious. Well, if I, you can do something, you do it. You can prevent a mass murder. Even if it means killing someone who is not guilty at this point at all. Remember, this person has committed no crime. I simply have knowledge. Because when, when, when someone starts, you know, for example, someone is a, um, pl planning a murder. If someone's planning a murder or a bank heist, so we arrest the person, the person can't say, hey, I didn't do anything wrong. And, and when they say, but you were going to kill someone, yeah, but I didn't yet. No, we, we understand that once someone sets in motion a process that's going to lead, well, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a situation where in many, many years from now, someone is going to do something bad. Do I have the right, right now, to, to do something about it? I think you don't have the right. I don't have the right, but I might do it anyway. And this is under the assumption that uh, you are absolutely sure it's going to happen and the guy is, does, it's not, he cannot repent or change his mind or do anything. And if God, uh, uh, if God would have liked this to happen, he wouldn't give me the chance to do that. So I don't feel that I am uh, doing anything against uh, God's will. And I am uh, willing to take the punishment that is uh, due for uh, this act. Well, I don't know if I'm convinced at that particular point, which is that if, if God wants it to happen, then there's nothing I can do about it, because, because we have free will. We do have free will, and so because, because we have free will, it certainly um, would, in theory, theoretically, allow us to, to do something about it, and that's the question, should you? But if you're telling me that you think it's wrong to do it, but you would do it anyway, it sounds to me like you're saying that it's right to do it. I don't think we are not gods. We don't have the, uh, we don't have the power to predict the future. We cannot predict the future. We are not God. We cannot take the law in our hands and do for things that would happen in the future. Otherwise, people will go around and do things in, in, a, in a responsible way. It's going to be killing all over. Yeah, I think, but that's a different point because as uh, Chaim pointed out before, this is a theoretical question right now. We, we, I know. Right? So we're, when you have a theoretical question, there are assumptions. So we're assuming that you know, and that that means that you actually know. We're assuming that you can do something about it, and all these things are not necessarily the case. But we're using the theoretical question in order to establish our internal moral principles. It means that we don't believe in education, we don't believe in changing, we don't believe in processing the morals of our, that we have. It's, it's a it's a very harsh prediction. We have to give a chance to people that are changing. Okay. We cannot we cannot take the law in our hands in the future. It's it's impossible. It's not right. That's the reason we live in a society with laws and regulations. I, I, I get I get what you're saying, I think but again, with it with more specific. Well, we're going to yeah, we're going to go into the we're going to go into the actual example. Taking bomb is a terrorist planning something. Somebody is going to mass murder people in school. How much evidence do you have? Again, again, let me make this very clear.
This is a theoretical question right now, which takes the assumption, it takes the assumption that you know. Now, I, I hear a lot of challenges as to how do you really know. That's not how theoretical questions work. Theoretical questions make the assumption that somehow you know, because what we're trying to balance is the question of can you or should you do something about some knowledge that you have. That's the question, not the question of how is your knowledge um, um, confirmed. I, I right? kind of, uh, this, uh, not completely understood your uh, reply, because uh, you are not allowed to murder. So I know that if I'm going to murder this guy, I'm going to take the consequences. And I'm willing to take the consequences. I, if, I, you know, if I would have the courage, I would kill the guy and um, get the consequences. So it's not that I'm saying that it's right. I'm saying it's wrong. But I can choose to do the wrong thing and pay the price. Yeah, but uh, and also by killing him, we are saving millions of millions of people. If this evil guy will be gone, we will save millions of people, hypothetically also. So I think I cannot, we cannot put here Mustar, uh, uh, you know, we cannot put Mustar here. We can we have to do the right thing for the for the. For the people in the world, right? So, so I, I think I, I, th I, I'm not sure there's that much of a disagreement between what you're saying because I, I understand you're saying that that you know it's the wrong thing to do by law, but but still the reason why you would be doing it would be against the law. You would be doing something because you think it's essentially right. Right? Because you wouldn't do it if it's the wrong thing to do. You feel that it's right. All right. So let's let's look at this shocking incident described in the Talmud, and hopefully this will give us a little more um, specifics to work with. So here's the, here's the statement in the Talmud. This is in Mesechet Brachot, Davyud, so Brachot 10a. Here the Pasuk says like this, Amar Rav Hamnuna, Rabbi Hamnuna said, my dichtiv, what is the meaning of the verse? Mi kehachacham umi yodea pesher davar. Who is the wisest? Who is the one who knows how to bring compromise? Hakadosh Baruch Hu yodea lasot pshara ben shnei tzadikim ben chizkiyahu liyishayahu. That God has to intervene in a situation between chizkiyahu and yishayahu. Chizkiyahu Amar, Chizkiyahu says, Yeshaya should come and see me, because we find that Eliyahu would go to the king, to Ahav, to visit him. So it's the job of the prophet to come to the king. So, you, um, so Chizkiyahu did not visit the Navi, Chizkiyahu is the king, and Yeshaya is the Navi, and Chizkiyahu says to Yeshaya, it doesn't go to see Yeshaya, because he's the king. The Navi has to come to the king. But, Yeshayahu Amar, Yeshaya says, Chizkiyahu has to come to me, because we find that by Yehoram ben Achav and Elisha, that it was Yehoram the king who went to visit Elisha. 
So we have a, a situation here. We've got the Navi and we have the Melech. The Melech believes that the Navi, the Prophet, should come and visit him. And the Navi thinks that the Melech should come and visit him, that the king should come and visit him. What did the Holy One, blessed does he do? Hevi Yesurim al Chizkiyahu. He afflicted Chizkiyahu. Va'amar li Yeshayahu leich uvaker et hachole. So then, so God makes Chizkiyahu sick. And now, tells Yeshayah, the king is sick, you gotta go visit him. Shanamar, as it says in the Navi, in Malachim, Bet, Perkhaf, Bayamim hahem, Chala Chizkiyahu lamut. Chizkiyahu was sick and he was about to die. Vayavo elav Yeshayahu ben Amot Sanavi. And Yeshayahu, the son of Amot, the prophet, comes to him. And now I'm reading from the Pasuk here, inside. You can look this up yourself. Malachim Bet, chapter Chav. Vayomer elav, Yeshayahu says to Chizkiyahu, Kol Amar Hashem. This is what God says. Tzav lebetacha. Give your last will and testament, kimet ata, for you are going to die, velo and you shall not live. Now, I don't know if you've ever had someone visit you when you're sick, or, or visited someone else when they're sick. Whatever you do, don't be like Yeshaya. Because he comes to visit Chizkiyahu, and says to him, listen, I see you're looking very ill, tzav lebeitacha, why? Ki, uh, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Ki met ata you're going to die. So says the Talmud, back in the Gemara, my ki met ata met at, in other words, the Talmud wants to know, why does Yeshayahu repeat himself? Ki met ata you are going to die and you're not going to live. Why does he say that twice? Says the Talmud, he, he was telling him, Kimet ata, you are dead, ba'olamazah in this world. Velotichyeh, and you will not live, you have no olam haba, you have no portion in the world to come. Amalei, so Chizkiyahu says to Yeshaya, my, excuse me, my Why? What did I do? What did I do to deserve Chizkiyahu? We all know the stories of kings. If you've read Malachim, you know the king. Chizkiyahu was one of the good ones. So, so Michael and I. Amalei, Mishim Deloasak, Bepiria Revia, Bepiria Revia, you did not do the mitzvah of having children, of procreation. Chizkiyahu had no children. Amar Lei, Chizkiyahu said, Mishum Dechazayili Baruach HaKodesh. I was shown by God. Chazayili Baruach HaKodesh means I saw with divine inspiration. The Nafki Minoy Benin Delo Ma'alu. That my children will be very bad people. Chizkiyahu says, I didn't have children because I saw in, 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 through prophecy that his children were going to be bad. Amar so Yeshayahu says to him, an unbelievable statement that requires analysis, and that's what we're going to look at today. 
and this is the these are the words. These are five big words. Bahade Kavshe the Rahmana Lamalach. Which is literally translates as when it comes to the secrets of God, you don't belong there. That's what Yeshayahu says to him. You 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 God you saw that your children are gonna be are gonna be um do bad things. That's God's um God's information. You have no business there. My you have to do what you have to do. Your instructions are to carry on the line. And whatever God thinks he, it's best to do, let God do it. That's what Yeshayahu says to him. So Chizkiyahu says back to Yeshayahu, I'll make with you a deal. Hashtahavli bratach, Absha the garment of the chusa the dividach, vanafki minai, benin the malu. Says Chizkiyahu to Yeshayahu, this is straight from the Talmud. Chizkiyo says to Yeshayo, here's a deal. You give me your daughter to marry, and maybe between all of my effort and all of your effort to gain merit in the eyes of God, maybe somehow the children will come out okay. Amarle says and Yeshayo back to Chizkiyo, you missed something. You missed something. And that is you're going to die. You're laying on your deathbed, Chizkiyahu. You're going to die. Why are you starting negotiations with deals for how you're going to work this out? Amalei, Chizkiyahu says, this is a quote directly from the Gemara, Ben Amot, you always know when someone's referred to only by their father's name, Ben Amot, Kalei Nevuatcha, Stop your prophecies. Vitsay and get out of my palace. Because kach mekubelani mi beit avi abba, this is a tradition that I have from the household of my father's father, which was another way for the kings to say from David. We have a tradition that goes back to David. Afilu cherev chada munachat al tzavarosh al adam al yimna atzmo min harachamim. Even if the sword is sharp and already laying on the neck, don't stop praying. Says, back into the Navi, Vayasev et panav el-hakir, and Chizkiyahu turned his face to the wall, Vayitpalel al-Hashem lemor, and he prayed, and the Navi gives us his prayer, Yeshayahu was not even yet outside Yerushalayim. Udvar Hashem Haya Elav, and the prophecy came to Yeshayahu saying, Shuva, Marta, Cheskiyahu, etc. Shamati at Tefilatecha, Raiti at Dematecha, Hinerofalach, Bayom, Ashlishi, Talebet Hashem, and God, go tell Cheskiyahu, God has heard your prayer, He has seen your tears, you will be healed. On the third day, you will go to the Beit Hamikdash, Vosafti al Yamecha, Chamesh Esrei Shana, and I'm going to give you 15 more years of life. And I will save you from the Assyrians. That's the 
That's the story in the Talmud. Again, just to repeat, to repeat this in brief, um, Chizkiyahu is deathly ill, Yeshayahu comes and tells him, you're going to die. He says, why? He says, because you didn't have children. He says, my children are going to be bad. And he says to him, not your business. You have to do what you have to do. You don't get involved in God's business. So he says, fine, I'll make with you a deal. I'll marry your daughter. He says, marry my daughter, you're about to die. He says, doesn't work that way. I have a tradition that uh, even if there's already a sword on the neck, keep praying. And sure enough, Chizkiyahu gets better. And guess what? Chizkiyahu marries Yeshayahu's daughter. Her name was Chetziba. Chizkiyahu marries Chetziba. And they have one of the worst people in the history of the world as a child. The Melech Menashe. That is their child. You want to know how bad he is? If I look ahead in the book of Malachim, It says, Ben Shtem Esrei Shana Menashe B'Malcho. Menashe was 12 years old when he became king. And of course, if you know this story, it makes a lot of sense. Because um, since he was born, in the last 15 years of his father's life, it would make sense he would become king at 12. Vayas Hara, it says, Vayas Hara Be'ene Hashem. He did evil in the eyes of God. He put up the idols. And he joined a fire worship cult and passed his own children through fire. This guy was into every form of black magic and the evil arts. It gets worse. He put a Pesel Ashera in the Beit HaMikdash. That's Menashe. Then, Vigam Dam Naki Shafach Menashe Harbema Od. Menashe was a murderer. Ad Asher Milei at Yerushalayim Pelepe. The blood filled Yerushalayim from edge of the city to edge of the city. In his days, people were being slaughtered right and left. There was blood flowing everywhere. Now, how literal that is, doesn't matter. The point is. He's murdering all these people. And Chizkiyahu, his father, foresees this and doesn't want to have children because of it. So who's right? Now, you, could, you, could, um, you could try to argue that obviously Yeshayahu is right because God made Chizkiyahu sick. But is that true? Or did God only do that because God has a plan? Did Chizkiyahu have a right to interfere? That's the question that the rabbis in this statement of the Talmud are, are grappling with. This, this is a big, big question. If you've got the ability 
to interfere and do something. Now here it's a little different because Chizkiyahu is interfering within action. He's not doing something. He's not getting married and not having a child because he knows that this child is going to cause um, terrible damage. So then why is he wrong? And I'm going to complicate this question just a little bit. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a nuance, but I think it's important. It's strange that as soon as Chizkiyo finds out what the issues are, he says to Yishayo, okay, well then, if I, if I marry your daughter, who said that that's going to make a difference? And, and, and if what you're saying is that, hey, I'm going to do something a little different and maybe get a different outcome, then why didn't he do this before? When he had the vision that he was going to have a bad son, why didn't he hire better, um, um, I, I don't know, better teachers at the palace? Maybe do something else different. Why only now is he introducing a, a new plan or a way around things? I don't understand something. If God wants something to happen, uh, and I try to kill the guy of the uh, uh, first example, I won't be able to. Uh, maybe they will catch me. Maybe I would die a day before. So uh, is, is there an, uh, an assumption that uh, by doing something, you can really change what God would like to do for his wisdom. Right. I, I think that, that that is such an important point in this discussion. Uh, I, I want to repeat it uh, again for everyone for emphasis. Um, w the question being raised is, one second, does this mean that the Talmud is saying that we, human beings, have the ability to circumvent God's plans? That's essentially, I mean, you're asking who said we can do that, but the Talmud is taking for granted that, that Chizkiyahu, had he not, had Yeshayahu not come and told him the reason why he was dying, Chizkiyahu would have had no children, and he would have successfully circumvented God's plans. And that Yeshayah comes in and says, no, 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 you can't interfere with God's plans, you have to do what you have to do. So yeah, I think the Talmud is making that statement and taking for granted that even if God is planning something, you can, you can foil God's plans. There's another irony here. I don't know if it's directly related to this point, but it, it's got to be. It, it, it has to be. So let me, let me read this here. This is a statement in the Talmud, Yevamot 49b. Um, if you thought the previous Gemara was kind of um, surprising, this is even more so. Tani Shimon ben Azai. There was a rabbi called Shimon ben Azai, and he taught the following teaching. The first four words. Menasha harag et Yeshaya. Menasha, the king, killed Yeshaya Hanavi. Amar Rava, to which Rava, the sage, explains to us, that Midan Daine Bikatle, he pulled Yeshaya into court. 
and he said like this, Moshe wrote in the Torah, Ki lo yirani ha'adam v'chai, that man cannot see God. And yet you, Yeshaya, say, Vo'ere et Hashem yoshev al kisei ram v'nisa. Yeshaya writes in chapter 6, I saw God sitting on the throne. Says Menashe to Yeshaya, you are a heretic. You're a false prophet. Who is Yeshaya? We've just learned that Yeshaya is his grandfather. So Menashe is so evil that he pulls his own grandfather into court and is, puts him on trial for heresy and blasphemy. This is the man who put the idol into the temple, but he's creating a, a pretext to, to get Yeshaya killed. Moshe Rabbah Hamar, Moshe said, Mi kashem elokeinu b'chol kareinu alav, that who is like God, whenever we call to him. In other words, in the Torah, it says we can always talk to God. But you know what it says in, in Yeshaya? Dirshu Hashem b'himatzo. Seek out a God when he's close, when he can be found. Again, you Yeshaya are a heretic. Moshe Rabbah Hamar, Moshe said, now here's the key, now listen to this, because this is just unbelievable. Moshe says, Et mispar yamecha amale. Moshe, in the Torah, writes, Et mispar yamecha amale. You know what that means? That means that Jews believe that everyone has a limited number of years. Vata amarta, v'osafti al yamecha chamesh asre shana, and you told my father, that he gets an extra 15 years. And therefore you are going against the prophecy of Moshe that everyone has a limited number of years. And therefore you, Yeshaya, are a heretic. Says the Talmud, Amar Yeshaya, Yeshaya said like this, Yedana be'edelo mekabel made'emele, I know, I know, that Menashe is not going to listen to any of my answers. And there's a problem. You're not supposed to say something to somebody who's not going to listen. Because when, when someone says something, and they believe they're right, so even if they're wrong, that's called an unintentional sin, because they think they're right. But if I disprove them, and I show them to be wrong, and they still do it, then it's my fault that they are mezid, that they are sinfully um, and willfully sinning. So I'm not going to say anything, says Yeshaya. You know what I'm going to do? He fled. Amar Shem, he said some name of God, Ibla Ba'arza, and he was swallowed up inside of a tree. Menashe commanded his soldiers to saw the tree. When they cut through his mouth, Yeshaya died. And this was punishment because Yeshaya said, Because Yeshaya spoke not nicely about the Jewish people. That's why he was punished to die in this way. What is... The whole... This whole teaching of the Talmud... That... How much of this you learn is allegory? How much? It doesn't really matter. The point is that the rabbis in the Talmud are grappling with this question. 
of Yeshaya telling Chizkiyo, no, you have no business here. This is God's plan, and you have to have this child, Menashe, and Chizkiyo is like, okay, well, give me your daughter, and they do, and then Menashe, one of the first things he does is kill his grandfather, Yeshaya. Why? Under some strange pretext of being able to claim that his grandfather, Yeshaya, is a heretic. And one of the examples that he presents in court to um, claim Yeshaya as a heretic is the fact that Yeshaya gave his father a promise of 15 more years, which is the only reason why Menashe is alive. He's, he, he gave him this extra 15 years, and because of that, Menashe lives, and he uses that to kill Yeshaya. Not only that, there's one more point I'm going to put in, and hopefully after we figure this out, we can go back into the discussion about this. But the Talmud says, well, he's right. Menashe is right. Doesn't it say in the Torah, Ki lo yirani that you can't see God? And Yeshaya says, I saw God, Yoshev al Kiseh. Menashe is right, seemingly. It says in the Torah, Right, that's what. Whenever you call to God, God is listening. And Yeshaya is seemingly going against the Torah by saying, that God is only close. You can only speak to God when God is close. And again, the third point about whether people have um, specific years of life or they or it can be changed. These are good questions. And Yeshaya is claiming to be a Navi, and we know if a Navi goes against the Nevoah of Moshe, we saw this in the Rambam, if a Navi goes against the Nevoah of Moshe, he's a Navi Sheker. And here we have three examples of where Yeshayahu is speaking in a way that seems to oppose Moshe. So, the Talmud says, no, 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 no. These are not, they weren't actually fair questions. Because when Yeshaya says, I saw God sitting on the throne, it was a mashal. He wasn't saying he actually saw God. It's a, it's a picture that the Navi gets to see. It's called Aspaklaria Sheena Meira, which means he's getting an unclear vision. And so that's the vision he's shown. doesn't mean Yeshaya believes that God is, is sitting on a throne. And regarding the second question, and here's the, here's the key, the second question of, does God always listen to us, or only when God is close? So the Talmud says, no, no, no. Ha biyachid, ha bitzibur. And then the Talmud says, um, and then the Talmud says, and also, this is for the rest of the year, but elu asarayamim shebein vashashana liyomi kippurim. In other words, there's the yachid, and there's the tzibur. When it says in the Torah that God always listens to the Jewish people, that's when we pray B'tzibur. But when God only, um, God only listens to an individual, that's, that's, that's only true during the days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and that's why it's Dirshu Hashem Bihimato. And then the Gemara has another discussion, which we don't have time to get into, about whether a person has a specific amount of 
time in their life or not. Okay, so I'd like to return the question. Now, that's basically the information that we're going to look at and hopefully figure out some solution. But let me, let me go back to the original question. The original question was, it sounds like Chizkiyahu is wrong for attempting to interfere with God's plans. And I'd like, I know there's two sides here, but I'd like to hear, are there any suggestions as to why Chizkiyahu is wrong? Again, he's not killing someone, which I think was a, a, one of the points that was raised. He's not killing someone. He knows his children, specifically his son Menashe, is going to kill, let's say, hundreds of thousands of innocent people. And all he wants to do is simply not allow him to be born. Why is that wrong? Why is that wrong? I have a question. For example, in Purim, Haman had a plan to kill all the Jews. How do, how do we know that it wasn't God's plan? So, uh, that, that, that's the second question. I think that's um, important to, to point out because then we go to after the fact. Once he tells him, no, 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 you're wrong. So he's like, okay, well then let's, uh, I'll marry your daughter. Why is that an option? Why is that? Why is why is he so certain that he can do something about it? And what's convinced him? Just the fact that he's going to die. So all of a sudden he changes his mind. He's like, no, no, okay. Here's, I, I didn't want to have children because I don't want to interfere. You know, I, I don't want to do this. And he says, no, no, no. You have to do what you have to do because you can't interfere with God. So then he says, okay. Well, then let's interfere with God in a different way. So it would be the same question that you're asking, which is if let's say someone gets sick. Why does someone get sick? Because God felt that you should get sick. Why are you praying to take away the illness? Why are you doing anything? Because if whatever is supposed to happen is going to happen. You think things will happen counter to God's will? So I shouldn't do anything ever. You know, whatever happens, it's God's plan. D don't people say that all the time? Don't you hear that all the time? Listen, it was Bashert. This is the way it was supposed to be. It should be a kapara. God's, God works in mysterious ways. We hear this all the time. Then why are you constantly fighting with God and praying and saying, God, please heal the sick. God, please you know, bring, bring world peace. If God, doesn't want, if God wants world peace, He'll make world peace. If He doesn't want it, why am I praying for it? What about the freedom of thought that is very uh, basic in the Jewish religion? And this is one of the things that I would like to bring. And then I would like to bring the power of the king and the power of the Navi always fought. Who is more important? Are we going to deal with these kind of questions? So we're, we're, the second question we're not going to get so much into, which is an interesting discussion, but it's the concept of the politics of the First Temple era and the struggles that was constantly going on between the kings and the prophets, Eliyahu and Ahav probably being the, the uh, most striking example of that, where they're literally fat battling over, over, the, uh, over the people in between. Uh, that, that is a, in terms of the, your first point, which is freedom of thought, at no point are we, are we questioning thoughts here. The, the, the issue here is... Action, but yeah. you talk about action. Yeah, yeah. So we're allowing all the thoughts. We're allowing the thoughts. The question is in terms of actions. So um, Chizkiyahu seems to accept that he's wrong for not having children. So then he tries some other plan again, seemingly to circumvent um, the will of 
uh, of God. I just don't, I just don't get it. If God is all powerful, things will happen. So he gave the idea to Hizkiyahu that yes, if I marry your daughter, she's so good like you, then we can still save or, or solve the problem. And God put this idea in his, so either God is all powerful and he puts thoughts in our mind and he makes things happen. Oh, he's not. <laughs> All right. so, he's, like the rabbis want to have it both ways. Like, yes, I don't yeah, absolutely, it. because the rabbis are of the opinions that which is another way of saying God is in charge of everything except your choices. God granted you free will. And so God, God is in charge of the way that the world functions, but he does not, he could if he wanted to, but God's choice is that he doesn't interfere with free will. But Yeshayahu is, is God's messenger, and he put this idea in his... So it's like it came from God. Yeah, so Yeshayahu to Hizkiyahu. That's true. God will, God will bring external factors to try to influence your decision. So he may send you a messenger saying, this is what I want, but he won't touch free will, except for those, you know, as we learned in the Rambam, but, there may be some... But how, was, how was Hizkiyahu to know that... How is he to know that... That maybe his original thought that he was going to die and will not have kids because they will be evil. Um, how does how would he know that this was the right decision uh, and marrying so is the wrong decision? I, I'm so glad you raised that question because as it turns out, all this whole story and Chizkiyahu's refusal to have children may have been the cause for his children to be bad. Right? He. Chizkiyahu, um, three years later, has a son, and Chizkiyahu um, dies when Menashe is 12 years old. It could be that things would have been different if Chizkiyahu wouldn't have tried to outsmart God and had a child 20 years earlier, and Menashe would have been a king at the age of 32 instead of the age of 12. So, so we don't know how much God, rather than God trying to talk Chizkiyahu out of his plan, that God is actually doing this in order to make it happen. Right? We all know the story of Shlomo HaMelech. This is a story recited um, also in the Talmud. I'm not going to read it inside because we won't have time. But the Talmud tells us that Shlomo once saw the Malach HaMavet, the angel of death. He saw that the angel of death was atzuv. He was sad. He was upset. And he says to him, Makara, you know what's wrong? Well, why do you look so? Why do you look so sad? Why the long face? So, well, that's the skeleton. But um, so he says, it's because I have a job to do, and it's very hard for me. So he says, well, what's so hard? He says, well, you've got two of your workers in the palace. I have to kill them today. So when Shlomo heard this, he sent messengers to take those two officers and to take them to a place where nobody dies. There's a place called uh, Chol, whatever it is, there's a place where nobody dies. So he had, Shlomo had access to all the underworlds and the overworlds, and so he had um, um, his messengers take him to, to th this place. So the, uh, the, um, the, the, the next day, he sees the Malach HaMavet, the angel of death, is all smiling and happy. And he says to him, what are you so happy about? He said, well, I was given instructions that I needed to kill your two officers at the gateway of the city where nobody dies. And I had no way to get them there in order to kill them. And you sent them there for me, so now I could kill them. So, all, it, 
In other words, when we try to go around God, and that's the point of this story in the Talmud, that you end up, you end up, uh, and I think that's related to your point, which is, you think you can outsmart God, but most of the time when you're trying to outsmart God, that's, that's, you're actually causing God's no. plan to occur. So it means that Hakol Tzafui Vareshut Netuna, it's really, it's a dead end. It doesn't matter whatever we try, whatever we do, the plan is made already, and we just can struggle on the road. That's all. Ah, so that's Yeshaya's response, right? In other words, this is exactly what the rabbis in the Talmud are trying to make all of us think. One second. Are you saying that I have no control? Are you saying that everything's going to happen? And that's the next part of the story. Because Chizkiyahu says, okay, okay, I get it. I get it. I made the bad choice. I did the wrong thing. But I'm going to marry your daughter. To, to which Yeshaya says, no, 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 you don't get it. God already said you're going to die. He's like, Ben Amotz, Enough. Enough with your prophecies. I don't want to hear any more information. The whole point here is that there is no information. I'm going to do what I have to do. He turns to the wall and he prays and God gives him 15 years. Which means that he's trying to teach There is a concept called Rachamim. Rachamim means that you can get God to change the plan. That you can do things to insist and to say to God, I know you've got a plan, but things are going to be different. But it didn't happen to you. Ah. Did it not? Did it not happen? So, you know I talked to Holocaust survivors. Let's let the rabbi talk now. No, no, please, uh that he moved from a camp to a camp to a camp to a camp and he thought he would die and he survived. Right, right. There, 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 are, there are many um, such instances. Right, there, we, we see that miracles can happen. But here's, where the, here's what the Talmud says. Shlosha Malachim Three kings and four commoners, four hediotot, have no portion in the world to come. And one of them is Menashe. Says the Talmud, Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Menashe, Yeshlo Chelek La'olam Abba. Menashe does have a portion in the world to come. Because, Divrei Hayamim Bet, Chapter Lamed Gimel. Ben Shnei Mesir Shana Menashe B'Malcho. This is not Malachim that we were reading before. This is in Divrei Hayamim. There it says, Vayidaber Hashem al Menashe v'alamo v'lo ikshivu God sent prophets to Menashe, he didn't listen, and so he was captured by Ashur. They locked him up in chains. And then he was in big trouble. 
our sages teach us that what happened was that the Assyrians wanted Menashe to suffer, and so they put him inside of a big pot of water, and they lit the fire underneath. They were going to boil him to death. And Menashe was feeling the pain. He prayed to God, and he humbled himself before the God of his fathers. And he prayed to God. For the first time in his life, Menashe prayed to God, Menashe had a redemption moment at the towards the end of his um, kingship. Well, it's not so clear, you know, but at least halfway, about halfway through, um, he has this moment where he has this realization and he turns things around. Menashe did teshuva while he was boiling in a pot. Says the Talmud, let me find the right page. I'll just say it outside because we're going to run out of time. Says the Talmud that you should know that Menashe didn't really mean it. He, he just did it because he was boiling in a pot and he figured, listen, this is what my father did. I might as well do it too. And God still listened to him. And the language of the Talmud is... That God had to make a special exception because Menashe's teshuva was so compromised that God had to cheat and he dug a tunnel to receive him in teshuva as Rashi explains, Midat Hadin the angels, the attribute of judgment would not allow it, and Hashem had to make a special exception to allow Menashe to do Teshuvah. So in the end, Menashe does Teshuvah. He can't undo all the, who knows, hundreds of thousands of deaths. He That's can't. The problem. But Menashe basically did a God plan. He was supposed to be bad. He was supposed to, uh, this was God's plan. And then he's punished for executing God's plan. And then he asks for forgiveness and he's being forgiven. So I'm a little confused. Where is the big God that makes good decisions for people? He was an instrument to execute God's will. God right. gave so the message that uh, Hezekiah's children are going to be bad. This was the plan. So how do the rabbi explain that? That you execute God's will and you are being punished for what you are doing that was God's will. Right, because you still had the free will. 
You had free will, and that's what we're proving. The fact that he does teshuva at the end <coughs> proves that what he did up till now was by his own free will. Because you see, he has the ability to turn himself around. He's not but, forced... Yeah, but I, but I, I, what is the price on the road? It's a tremendous price yeah. on the road. So that's where we get into. It's not only Menashe. That's the people that got killed on the road. It's not only Menashe. Right. And so the, the response that our sages want us to accept is the words of Yeshaya. God has a plan that's not your business. So basically, Hezkiah had to die ah. uh, before he had kids. So what we're saying then, in, to respond to your point, is know that you, you have the right to try to circumvent God's plans, but you have to stay inside of the box. So what I am... What what are you saying that when we have the free will, we are actually part of the creation? We are part of uh, what's going to happen in the future. Otherwise, there is no, no meaning for free will. Right. So listen to this because this is this is I think it's an extension of what you're saying, but this is really the way the rabbis want us to look at this. You have control over the story. You have control over the narrative. You are in charge of what happens. But you have to stay inside of a box in order for God to let you control the story. So you want to pray and change things? Go ahead. You want to marry Yeshaya's daughter in order to bring merit and, and she's a good uh, woman and, and all of that? You want, to, you want to do that? You can do that. But that's inside the box. You can't step outside the box and say, I'm not going to get married, even though the Torah tells you that, that you should. So that's what we're being told. You have control, but you only have control within the box. So it's like a compromise. God says, listen, I'm going to give you free will. But here's what I want you to do with that free will. And you can change things through prayer and through with their permitted areas. You have no right to step into the places that I don't give you permission to step. And that's called um, getting mixed in by the Kavshid Rahmana. So you can't kill someone because you believe that that person is going to kill people in the future. You can't do that. But you know what you can do? You can set up special programs with this child before he becomes older. You can give him better friends. You can, you can try. Now, it may end up that all of your efforts only bring about the result. So, you know, you have to realize, to a certain extent, we don't have control. But you're allowed to, and even supposed to, and that's the discussion. Chizkiyahu says, there's nothing that can be done. Um, I'm sorry, Chizkiyahu said, I'm going to have bad children. And Yeshaya says to him, well, you have to do what you have to do. So Chizkiyahu doesn't stop. He says, okay. Well, then let's work inside the box to change the story. And How do we know in real life what's inside the box, what is allowed and is not allowed? So according to this statement in the Talmud, it's the Torah. Whatever is within the Torah, such as praying and doing uh, other things, but within the boundary of the Torah, then you are allowed to go there. 
to, and, and the complaint against Chizkiyahu was only that he was stepping outside of the Torah. Then when Chizkiyahu says, well, let me marry, uh, I'll marry your daughter, at, at that point, Yeshaya makes the mistake. Yeshaya makes the mistake of saying it's too late. And Chizkiyahu says to him, what kind of prophet are you? You, you missed like the ABCs of prophecy. He doesn't just say to him, no, 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 I'm going to pray. He says, Ben Amot, Kalein say, Get out of here. Now why does he say that? Because he says to him, you know what, ba- look at Yonah, Ninveh, right? He goes in there and says, What happened? The people turned, people did Teshuvah and they were forgiven. And Yonah is upset, he's like, God, this is terrible, you're making me look bad. Here I am, and God is like, making you look bad? Making you feel bad? These are my people, these are human beings. That's how, in the book of Yonah, you've all read it, I'm sure. He's like, that's not the way things work. Right? This is not, a, in the same way, Chizkiyahu says to Yeshaya, listen, great point, but that's not the way it works. You gave me your prophecy, I'm going to pray, I'm going to turn myself around, I'm going to fix things, and, and Chizkiyahu is right. And, yeah, these, are, these are very important questions, because I think too, too many of us, go to either one extreme or the other, which is that we try to control everything, or we completely relinquish control and say, listen, it's out of our hands. And the life is not supposed to be about either trying to control everything or letting uh, everything control you. It's about figuring out within my life what are the things that I do have control over and what are the things that I don't have control over? What are the things I should take control over and what are the things I should let go of? And our rabbis used the story of Chizkiyahu and Yeshayahu and Menashe as a great example that we're not just supposed to look at their story and we're supposed to look at it ourselves and in our own lives and say, what are the things that I did differently than what I should have because I was trying to control the situation? That's the perspective from the Talmud. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.